Welcome to Wednesday Night Bible Study. Uh, we've completed Acts of the Apostles, but where we're at is, um, when I tell you that we were going to be looking at the books that Paul, the letters that Paul wrote, well, he was under house arrest, that's where we left him, he's under house arrest, but he writes Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, Philippians, Timothy, Titus, and 2 Timothy. So what I'm going to do the next three weeks before we break for the end of the year, tonight I'm going to do uh, Ephesians and Colossians, kind of a survey, an overview of, of these. Next week I'll be doing these three and then we'll close it out. But just to give you an idea of what's going on, because we went through all of his journeys, we went through all, everything where he was at, and uh, um, so now it's, it's just a matter of... Uh, It's just a matter of uh, reliving where he's been. So, what we're going to be talking about today, where we're going to be at, is, okay, down here in Jerusalem, remember his journeys were all up in here, we're going to be talking about the letter to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians, which is right here. And then the letter to the uh, Colossians is right here. This is probably 150 miles, 180 miles, but it's two different circumstances when to get into that. So that's where all that is at. And just so you know, on the other uh, journeys and stuff, this is where Philippians is at over here. Thessalonica is over there. Corinth is over here. So that's where all the letters were written. And the letters, the, you know, they were passed around, so that's how they, the churches all got them. So, uh, let's just open in prayer. Lord God, we just thank you for those of you here are on the way who couldn't make it, Lord, or those who are li- listening by a podcast. Lord, we just thank you that you ministered to us tonight about uh, the church in Ephesus and the letter to the church of Colossia, Lord, that, uh, that we gain insight, information, but we also... Uh, gain application personally and corporately as a body of Christ. So, Father, I just thank you for this time, and I ask that you just uh, bless it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Ephesians was written in the year 60 to 61, which is right about the time where Paul goes into his house arrest in Rome. And as an overview, um, Paul stopped at this church on his right at the end of his second missionary journey on his way home. And if I'm not mistaken, he was there about 18 months. But he uh, knew this church well, and so and he knew the people in that area. But the overview of, of Ephesians, it's kind of like a sermon. That's uh, The theme is kind of Christianity. And it's kind of like, uh, what's the eternal purpose of God that he's fulfilling through his son. So in other words, from creation, God had an eternal purpose and plan. And throughout history, that plan is revealed, and eventually it comes fruition through the cross, and then into the New Testament uh, uh, time frame. So in other words, theology, what is God doing? Uh, and, and, and what are we supposed to be doing in relationship 
to God. So theology is who is God and what is God doing? God's got a plan and he's working that plan out. And the Bible is that roadmap to that that plan. So this is kind of uh, Ephesians. I'm not going to go through all of it. I'm just going to jump around to a few different verses. But if there's something that you want us to go to and look at, we can certainly do that. Just But just to kind of give you the flavor of it. But it's basically just talking about Christianity, you know, and uh, the, the privileges and responsibilities of being a Christian. In other words, we have certain privileges. We're saved. The grace of God. But then we have certain responsibilities. Walk in the light. Be the salt of the earth. Preach the gospel. So, again, you know, a lot of times if the Christian or the churchgoer doesn't know this, then you think Christianity could, could be about something else. Right? So we have to know what are, the, what are the privileges? What do we get as a result of our confession of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? God's grace. Or we get His mercy. We get His grace. We get the gift of the Holy Spirit and the responsibility of walking as a Christian. And also in this letter, Paul encourages the church. And one of his main themes, and we're going to get to it in a little bit, is we are one body. Regardless, you know, all these churches that are just beginning here, uh, probably right here, there's more churches in Southern California than there were right here. Literally. You know, for the first hundred years of the church, there's more in, in, uh, in uh, I think, just in the gateway cities alone, you probably have, um, in gateway cities, you probably have a good 250 churches, easy. And that's, you know, La Mirada, Santa Fe Springs, Norwalk, Downing, that, going to Whittier, you, you get more, and so, uh, Artesia, and so... So let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 6. This is what Paul has to say to this church. By the way, most of the, all of the other letters, there's a problem that he's addressing. In this letter, there isn't a problem per se. He's just, he's not dealing with a specific problem, but there's some things he wants them to know. Okay? So, chapter 1, verse 3 to 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons, which also means daughters, through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. So number one, we find out there that we are chosen by God. We find out that we are blessed. And then we begin to find out, he's talking about grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor, and we're going to get into it a little bit more uh, as, as we read some more. But again, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, right, with every spiritual blessing. In other words, we get the whole, all of what God has. God's blessings upon us, right? In how many places? In Christ. In other words, we get them through Christ. We don't get them outside of Christ. We get them as believers in Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior. 
uh, and it says he chose us before the foundation of the world that we should uh, be holy and blameless before him in love. The only way we can be blameless and holy before him is uh, through the redemption of Jesus Christ on the cross. Because without the Savior, we cannot be holy and blameless. We are dead in our sins. So, any thoughts on that or anything stick out? Okay. Verse 7 and 9. He says, In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our transgressions according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. So we have redemption by Christ, right? In him we have redemption through his blood, which brings what? Forgiveness of our sins, right? This is the work he did on the cross. According to the riches of his grace. Again, grace is God's unmerited favor. And so God says, I'm going to put your sins on my son. That's what he's saying here. And if you believe that, confess that, you are now in him, and the blessings now flow through him. Verse 8, and he lavished upon us. You know, that word lavished, you know, that's, you know, lavished. This is like, you know, all the blessings of heaven are in Christ. This is God. And so this is lavished upon us. You know, I mean, I mean, the fullness of heaven is lavished upon us. Uh, in our wisdom and insight. And then see, he, he made, known, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. So what is the mystery? Because it says it a couple times in, in Scripture about the mystery and how this mystery has been uh, mystery has been revealed to us we're supposed to know what this mystery is. So what is this mystery? That he was sending his son to die for our sins, and his kingdom was in heaven, not here. Yes. That's the mystery. Because you see, from the beginning of time, let there be light, God is revealing himself. If this side of the room is the Old Testament, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, all that. God's revealing himself but he's also revealing his, his intentions and his purpose, and he's, he's pointing towards the cross. So if you lived in Exodus time, for example, they're just dealing with redemption from Egypt. They're just dealing with God is, 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 is bringing them out of bondage. You know, they haven't been to Mount Sinai yet. The law hasn't been written you know, all, all these things. So they, they don't know about Messiah yet, and they don't know about kingship. They don't know about the law yet. There's, there's a lot they don't know about. And then later on they begin to learn about that, but they don't truly accept it because they rebel. And in the rebellion, that causes them to wander, and then God begins to start over with their children who enter the promised land in Joshua. And what do they do? They end up in the judges time, which is a sin cycle, they keep messing up, calling out for a deliverer, God sends a deliverer, and the deliverer dies, and they mess up again. 400 and some years of this. 
And then God brings uh, the prophets. He starts with uh, Samuel and enters into the, the, the prophetic age, which is now God saying to these people, remember my covenant with you. Remember what I said. Remember what I was going to do. And if you're willing to obey and return and repent, I will fulfill my part of this covenant, this, this, this blessing. And so by the time it's all revealed, by the time the Old Testament is over, we get a clear picture that there is a Messiah coming. And, you know, each generation after that is hoping that, that, that they see Messiah come. And so 2,100 years ago, we're going to be celebrating the birth, a couple weeks, uh, Messiah did come. That's mystery revealed. But you see, it's, it's revealed to the church because we accept it, we believe it, we preach it, we teach it. The world doesn't, it's still a mystery. They don't get it. You know, I remember somebody asking me one time, I was, I was sharing the gospel, and they said, what's with all the blood? And I said, what blood? There's blood all over the Bible. There's blood here, there's blood there. You know, one's talking about wars and different things. And then didn't understand the blood of Christ. Didn't understand <coughs> the blood over the doorpost in the time of Exodus and all that. So yeah, there is a lot of blood there, but it's, it's, a, it's a purpose, and it's showing that through Christ, his blood that was shed for us, we have redemption. Redemption by Christ. So that's the mystery. Mystery is revealed through Christ. So, uh, and the mystery is to share the gospel. You know, that that's what uh, has been revealed. So any thoughts, questions on that? Good. Uh, chapter 2. Like I said, if there's something I bounce over here and it's something that you see in your Bible that you want to talk about, uh, just, just stop me and we'll do it. It's not, it's not a it's not a problem. I just kind of want to give an overview, but there might be something in here that uh, you might want to talk about, and we can certainly do that. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 6. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Okay, hold it right there. So right there, in without Christ, we're what? Dead. We're dead. In our sins and our trespasses, we are dead. Doom, there's no hope. There's, it's, it's over. Uh, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, um, even as the rest. But, verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, what is God rich in? Mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. Again, John 3.16, God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, as they say, that's a month of Sunday of preaching right there. It's old and new position. The old position is we were dead. The new position in Christ is we are alive, right? 
So, walk slowly through this. Then you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. In other words, the world was telling us, this is the way to walk, this is the way to do it. Multiple gods, the fire god, sun god, the moon god, any kind of god. According to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. This is a reference to Satan, devil, working in who? Those that don't believe. So where is the, where is the devil working? In those that don't believe. That's why it's important to change someone into uh, an unbeliever to a believer. And, and just hold it there for a second. And a lot of times in counseling, sometimes in marriage counseling, there might be things, well, well, can a, should a Christian, is it okay for a Christian to marry a non-believer? Well, you bring this passage out. You know, to that person that's asking that question and say, okay, now you tell me. I'm going to read you what it says. Now, is this what you want to hook your wagon to? Because there's no guarantees. You know, hopefully, yeah, it will all turn out okay. Many times it does, but there's no guarantee there. You know, so. Uh, let's see. Verse 3, among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our own flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh, of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. So, before Christ, when we're dead in our sins, we were what? Children, children of wrath. Destined for God's wrath. Right? Even as the rest. And then verse 4, where it changes, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, not separately, with Christ. And then it says, by grace you have been saved. That's a doctrine statement. That's a huge doctrine statement. We are saved by grace. In other words, we did not initiate it. We don't control it. God initiated. God controls it. God extends grace to us. And it's ours to uh, 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 receive you know, sometimes people think it's somatics to say, well, I accepted Christ. No, you receive the gift of salvation from God. See, when you say you accept, that can be like, well, I accept it on my terms. Mm. No, you don't accept it on your terms. You receive it on God's terms. It's not somatics. It's a theological point. Um so being rich in mercy because of his great love, he loved us even. We were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him. Now see, when we're saved, we're already raised up with him. In other words, our future is already set. Right? That's why I think it was Sunday I was talking about. You know, we are God calling us into our future, and our future is in here. Our future is in heaven with him. That's where he's calling us. That's where that's where we are already are. That's where he sees us because God has already seen the future. He's already in the future. It says he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places. Now this is in the throne room of God. We are seated in heavenly places with Christ. 
In other words, you have a place of honor in heaven. Because of God's mercy. And because of God's grace. You know. Uh, uh, so this is this is the theology. God. Who is God? God so loved the world. But who does this? Even if you have all the money in the world, you have all the power in the world, what do you do? You always want to make sure you're just a little bit above the other person so they don't take your position. So they don't come, you're not going to bring them alongside you. You might elevate them, but you're not, you're not going to give them that opportunity. But, but we're seated in heavenly places with Christ. Who does that? No, see, that screams God. You know, out of God's abundant love, and so this this is this is that uh, uh, um, unconditional love. There's no conditions. Once we receive salvation through Jesus Christ, we are now changed. We are our our our, our eternity is now fixed. We are now. That's why he says, "I go prepare a place for you." And that place is in. Heaven, we are seated in heavenly places. That's why he says in, in Revelation, we will do what? Rule and reign. Because we're seated in heavenly places. doesn't say what we're going to rule and reign over, but we're going to rule and reign. So, uh, thoughts, questions on that? Pretty good stuff, huh? Uh, the next part is... Uh, just talks about reconciliation of the Jews and the Gentiles and how we're all now one. Uh, chapter 3 talks about the mystery of the church, meaning uh, how we're saved and how we are now uh, sent by, uh, we called to the cross, we're now sent from the cross. Uh, those kind of things. What I want to look at is chapter 4, because this is now kind of what we are supposed to do sort of thing. Chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. So right there he says, "There's a you have to walk the walk. We've been called to walk a certain way and it's, you know, it's like when you, you know, you go into the Marines you go there in 18 weeks, you come out a Marine. I don't know how they do it, but you come out a Marine for the rest of your life. I don't care how old you are, you're going to be a Marine for the rest of your life. And, and they do it in 18 weeks. You know. But this point here with you know the church, and I think this is where the church, if we don't have discipleship, if we don't follow through with, with, with teaching the new believer, then they will act any old way, or they'll act uh, kind of the way they did before. There has to be a change. We're talking conversion here. This is verse 2, And with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love. How are we supposed to walk? Humility, gentleness, with patience. This is like Galatians, you know, through the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, mercy, self-control. Verse 3, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Break it down. Be diligent to preserve. So there's something we have to preserve. What is it? It's unity of the Spirit 
In other words, the Holy Spirit bringing unity because through our salvation in the bond of peace. So that's why in our Advent season, uh, not this week, but, but the following week, what, what's one of it? Peace. What does God bring? Peace on earth. We should be the ones who keep the unity and keep the peace. We shouldn't be the ones that are tearing things up and causing a ruckus. We should be unity and in peace. Uh, verse 4. Now, this, now look at this one here. There is one body, one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Boom, slam dunk, slam dunk. Right there. There is one body. In other words, when you become a Christian, there is one body. There is not the Southern Baptist line and then the Methodist line. Now, the Presbyterian line or the Pentecostal line or the Church of God in Christ line, no, we're all one. This, is, this isn't denominations. This is none of this. We are supposed to be one mind, one, one body, one spirit, as we're called into one hope of your calling. We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. You know, this is, uh, uh, this is oneness. This is unity. See, prior to the God of the Bible, and it starts in the Old Testament with Yahweh, as he's known, monotheism, one God. Prior to that, you had multiple gods. Romans had multiple gods. Greeks had multiple gods. Pagans have multiple gods. Uh, uh, Christianity uh, brings in, in Judaism and Christianity bring the concept of one God. That, that was new on earth. The idea of one God who's over all, in all, through all, created all. One God. <clears throat> By the way, that's doctrine statements. That's doctrine statements. Now, how do we get there? Verse 11. It's not on your handout, but I'm adding this. Verse 11. Chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Now, remember, he says, Back in verse 3, he says, Being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called into one hope, your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father, and all, who is over all and through all. In verse 7, it says, But to each one of us grace has been given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Now verse 11, And in these gifts he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, and some as teachers. Now this is talking about the church and how the church is supposed to uh, teach itself, strengthen itself, and keep itself in unity. Through what? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And here's why. Because this is what they do, verse 12. For the equipping of the saints... The saints are those that believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. For the work of service. So in other words, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers 
or for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. In what? In unity. Right? And in oneness. So if we're not teaching that, if we're not doing that, then what happens? We're off the pages of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Right? So we're, we're not teaching separation here. We're, 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 we're talking about bringing believers together. Not unbelievers and believers, but believers together. Uh, it says a word to do this until verse, verse, verse 13, until we all obtain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And here's the outcome. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. So in other words, if the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are doing their job, the church is going to have unity, and we're not going to be able to be picked off by the wolves. We're not going to, they're, they're not going to be able to uh, uh, teach us a false doctrine, because we're going to know the difference. You know, uh, That's why I say, you know, the, the, uh, every gospel in every letter speaks out about false teaching. And the reason is because the church is going to be attacked by false teaching. And if you don't believe me, just turn on some Christian programming and watch for a little while. Mm-hmm. And you'll be screaming at the TV like I am. Mm-hmm. Not all of it, but a lot of it is just not Christianity 101. Thoughts, questions on that? And uh, some of this stuff is going to be kind of, sort of, kind of, kind of, sort of repeated as we get to Colossians in a, in a second. Because it says some similar stuff. It talks about how to live, how to, you know, children uh, respect their parents and husbands and wives. You know, respect your husbands, love your wives kind of things. Uh, stuff like that. But what I want to look at is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. So he says, finally. So in other words, after saying all the other stuff, finally. Oh, by the way, what I want to say this about the prophets, evangelists, and the teachers and stuff. Remember when we were doing this and we were reading and what Paul was doing and the others were doing? You saw the prophets and the teachers and the pastors at work doing that. All that was at work there. And that's why he's writing those letters because he's he's operating as, as the prophet. He's operating as the pastor. He's operating as a teacher. So, chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord. So who do we, who are we strong in? Our own power, our own ability? No, God's. And in the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God, that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So in other words, he's telling us here we're going to be attacked by the schemes, right? Of the devil. Now, a scheme, we're not talking about bows and arrows and rockets and spears here. We're talking about schemes. You know, if I can get you to believe a lie, if I can get you to believe a system is really for your benefit when it's not, that's a scheme. If I can get you to believe that it's okay to sin, that's a scheme. So we're to put on the full armor of God. Now, armor, when you hear of, of we, armor, you think of what? Warfare. 
But the armor of God is to, is to what? To stand. Because we're going to be attacked, but we're supposed to stand firm. Put on the full armor of God that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the spiritual forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. In other words, talking about how Satan fell, and it was talking about we're, we're involved in a spiritual warfare here. You know, it's not going to be flesh and blood. It's going to be a spiritual warfare. Therefore, verse 13, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. So he says, stand firm twice and resist once. So what are we supposed to do? Stand firm and resist. You know, the crowd here is old enough to know what I'm talking about. We're not spiritual arrow flins. You know, he was a swashbuckler. <laughs> Going to cut him down and chop him up. and <laughs> That's not what we're talking about. There's no glamour in standing firm, right? Well, because there's no glory in standing firm, because the one who gets the glory is the one who's done the work, and that's Jesus Christ. We're just to stand firm in what he's done and what he said. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm. Now he says stand firm again. Therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. In other words, he's talking about how you cover yourself and you protect yourself. You protect yourself with the truth. What is the truth? The word of God. Putting on the breastplate of righteousness. What is righteousness? We are made righteousness through what? Through the work of the cross. Uh, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In other words, wherever we walk, what are we supposed to take? The gospel. The gospel of peace. And you stand firm in that. And then in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. And this is just the shield. It said stuff is going to be thrown at you, is going to come at you. You've got a shield there to block it. You just block it. You know, it's, don't let anybody tell you who you are when you know who you are. Stand firm. In addition to taking up the shield of faith, which we will be able to extinguish the flaming missiles of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the what? The Word of God. You see, all those things, unity, coming together as a body of Christ and, you know, knowing there's one God, one hope, one baptism. Uh, we've been trained, we've been taught by you, know, the evangelists, you know, the, the teachers, the pastors, the whoever. And, and, and finally, when you've done all this, when you get all this, stand firm in your faith because you're going to have to stand firm because the evil one has got schemes out there and it's going to try and take you down. But if you stand firm in your faith, if you continue to take the gospel wherever you go, you're doing what God has called you to do. So it's a letter of encouragement to the church in Ephesus. He's, there's no real major complaint there, but he wants them to make sure, okay, guys, do you get this? How are you supposed to act and respond as a Christian, as a believer? So 
that's all I have for that, but I can go into something else in there if you like, or if you have a comment or question, sure. I have a question. Sure. In chapter um, 2, verse 6, where it says that um, Christ was risen up and seated, uh, that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, mm -hmm. in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then in chapter 6, verse 12, where it talks about we wrestle again the forces of darkness, the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Mm -hmm. So can you explain, uh, I don't know where, I don't know, is there you see, a line of heavenly places uh, with Christ as opposed to heavenly places of wickedness? Mm -hmm. I don't understand. Okay. Where did Satan come from? From heaven. And what did he do there? He was um, like for worship. He was for worship. And what caused him to fall? The, yeah, vanity. Right. Yeah, he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be worshipped. He wanted to, you know, be people to look at him. And so when he fell, it wasn't just him. He took some with him who were willing to do that. So that's the battle that he's talking about there. That's a spiritual battle there. And so he's saying that that spiritual battle, because he's fallen, and as we read earlier, he's now in control of the world system and, and, and the schemes. Those that are, are of disobedience are following his schemes and his will. Realize he's already fallen, so you don't have to fight that battle there, but he's here and so stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in what you know about God. And so that's the battle in the, he in the heavenly. Sometimes people take it as, oh, we have to now, we now have to fight the battle that's going on in heaven. Wait a minute, how are we going to do that? We're not there yet. Can't do that. And the battle's already won because when Jesus was on the cross, he said, what? It's finished. It's over. And so now what we're going through is a time when uh, the wicked and the lawlessness are revealed. And it's a, we're in a time of harvest of the church, we're in that time of people coming to God, but at the same time, we're in a time where evil and wickedness will reveal itself. And we're to stand strong against that because that evilness, that wickedness is going to want to steer us. It's going to want to take us places we don't want to go. You know? And so that's that's the battle there. And uh, uh, sometimes it gets misused, but, you know, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall. I saw him fall from heaven. You know, and the way it's said in, in Revelation, it's like, you know, there's that idea of, you know, you, you had it all, but you wanted more, and you fell because of it. And so, what happens? What comes before the fall? Pride. Pride? Yeah. I want to be this, and I want to be that. And it's like, you know, once you get, once you get enough money... Now what? Now, now what does an evil person want? Power. They got all the money. 
now they want power. And they'll use their money to try and buy them power to do what? To control. That's the schemes. Of the, God's not in it. You know? So, that explain that? that help you with that? Yes. Oh, yeah? no. <laughs> I am... Keep, keep going. <laughs> um, Okay, it says under one chapter that. Okay, well, but one thing it says, because remember it says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. That wickedness was in heavenly places. It has fallen, and it's now, here what he's talking about, it's now manifested itself in the world as those schemes. And so, therefore, we don't have to fight that battle because he's already fallen. We just have to resist what he's trying to do here. Okay, go ahead. Um, no, I think, I, I just want, it sounds to me like they're talking about two heavenly places that are different. Where it says that um, God raised Christ and um, we were raised and are seated in heavenly places. And but then it sounds like this is another heavenly place. This is prior to this is prior to the cross. See, mm-hmm. uh, we, we get revelation back in Isaiah that uh, that that's the first place, I think it's in chapter thirteen, fourteen, right around there, I forgot. Where we get the where we find out that Satan was in charge of worship and there and he and he, he rebelled against God mm-hmm. and he fell. Okay, that's way before all of this. So it's kind of like, it's almost in a sense, you know, like sometimes when you're watching a movie, and Mary hates these kind of movies, where it goes to the present, to the future, to the past, and she's like, are we in the present, the future, or the past? You know, I'm trying to explain, you know, kind of thing, because if you're not really, that's what's going on. That, where he fell, that's already over with, he's not up there doing anything. So now Christ, the cross, which is even, even this happened way before Isaiah, but even if it was during the time of Isaiah, Isaiah was about 700 years before Christ. So right there, say, say just for argument's sake, it happened at that point. Okay. 700 years later, he's gone. He's not, he's not up there. But actually it happened way before that. You know, so uh, uh, um, so yeah. No, it's not. It's not two different. The only, the only two references that you have to two different heavens is, is in Revelation, where a new one is created. The old will pass away. The new is created. That's the only one. So in this particular passage, no, it's kind of that reference point back, and then reference point forward. That's why. The prophets, the evangelists, the teachers, the because the Bible's not set up chronologically. It's not set up necessarily by by theme. It's by what God is revealing in whatever different times, you know, you know, to us. And then He doesn't reveal everything all in one segment. He reveals it all along the way and then it's like oh now I get what he was saying yeah. it's like it's like the cross if if they were really 
for example, if they really understood Isaiah 53 when Jesus won on the cross, they would get it. He bore our inequities. He was pierced for our... If they knew that, they would say, oh, that's what it was talking about. But until Christ comes... And he's on the cross, see, because they were they thought Messiah was going to come and be the conquering king. But when he comes as a suffering servant and he goes on the cross, I didn't sign up for that. I said, I, I, I wanted the king, I wanted the good thing. Right? You know, it's like when they came out of bondage in Egypt, it was like they just wanted the land flowing with milk and honey. They didn't want to go to Mount Sinai. And God says, no, you're going to find out who I am first. So he thunders through the mountain and shows him his power and who he is and gives him his word. And these people are just straight crazy. You know, they have no uh, uh, respect for what God is doing because they don't know God. And God's going to show them, I'm going to show you who I am. And if you don't get it, your children will. Because I'm, I'm not going to change. So, make sense? Okay. Anything else? Yeah, because there's a lot of good stuff in there. I mean, it's it's uh, talks about the old self and the new self. So, we got ten minutes. Somebody want to sing a song? You <laughs> can. <laughs> Let me do this. I'm gonna I'm gonna do the intro into Colossians, and we'll see where we we'll go. And if I need to pick it up next week, you can certainly do that. Not a problem. So Colossians. By the way, I, lo I love the questions because we get to go down roads uh, that, that really make us think and, and reveal stuff to us. So Colossians. Written about the same time, 60, 61 AD. Uh, you go through Philippians and then you get to Colossians. The, the problem in the church in Colossia was philosophy. Philosophers were coming in. This is the Greek world. It was shaped by Aristotle and Plato and, and Socrates and all those guys. Uh, this is where education really has started after the time of uh, Alexander the Great. Uh, you know, he brings, he, he, he really expands uh, Greek uh, uh, teaching and, and all of that. So when the church is now planted in these areas, they got these schools of philosophy all over the place. And so what's happening is the philosophers are coming into the church. And if you've ever been around a philosopher, they, they know everything, they got it all together, you know nothing. Right? They got it. Um, and, and philosophy is man-made, it's human in origin, and it's basically... Humanity can figure it out, right? Anything, anything God has done, or anything a Creator has done, humanity can figure it out and probably replicate it. Right there, you know, that's strike one. Uh, the other thing is comes out is that Christ is the head of the church. Remember, in in Ephesus, we are called what? The body. So when you read Ephesus, we're now told that we are the body and the oneness and we come together. And now in Colossians, we are told that the body does not rule itself. It's ruled by the head. And the head is Jesus Christ. 
And so chapters 1 and 2, there's four chapters, chapters 1 and 2 are doctrinal in, in nature. In other words, um, what Jesus did, what Christ did, you know, some doctrine statements in there, what the church is, who Christ is. And then chapters 3 and 4 are practical. In other words, what is Christ doing through us, the church? Okay? So, look at some of this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. By the way, you would think you would you would get some of this stuff in the Gospels, and you do, but you get it in a little bit different form. Now you're getting it after the cross, after you know the cross, the resurrection, and and ascension, and and now you're getting it in terms of this is who the church is supposed to be. Whereas the Gospels are telling the story, this is who Christ is, this is what he did, this is why he came. But now the epistles are saying, this is how the church is supposed to take this and use it. So, verse 15 in chapter 1, it says, And he is the image of the invisible God. So who is Christ? He's the image of the invisible God, because he is God. That's why I say to you, if you don't understand sometimes what God is doing, just look at the work of God. And the work of God is Jesus Christ. Where did he come? How did he come? Why did he do it? Right there, God's revealed to you. That's a good place to get a handle on it. And then you can go back and begin to get more understanding. So he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In other words, he was before all things. I'm going to say that in a second. It says, for by him, all things were created. This is like John 1, right? He was in the beginning, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So, he's, now you have this doctrine. Some people will say, oh, well, no, he's, just, he's lower than God. He can't be God. He can't be this. He wasn't present. He was created later on. No, he was there at creation because he is God. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him, for him. All things were created by him, for him. This is kingship. This is, this is you know, it's, it, you know, we enter the kingdom. We have a king who sits on a throne. Who rules and who reigns, and we are his subjects. Right? It says, verse 17, and he is before all things. In other words, before let there be light, he was there. And in him all things hold together. So, what's keeping everything going? Christ, God. I mean, you know, he's still telling the whales to go to Baja when it's time to go to Baja, when it's time to go to Alaska and do that, when the swallows go to Venezuela, you know, when, you know, the ants do whatever it is and all that. He's still controlling all that. You know, the earth's tilting the right way at the right time and all that stuff. He's still doing all that. He's before all things and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church. So right there, he makes it real clear. Ephesus, he says, you are the body. And now he takes it one step further. He says, 
He's the head of the body, the church. And the church are the gathered ones. That's what it means, ecclesia. The gathered, the called out ones that are called together in his name. Technically, right here we are a church. We're not a denomination or whatever. We don't have a 501c3. But we are a church because we're called out together to hear his word. We are a church. That's why it says whether two or three are gathered, he's in our midst. He's also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. Hmm. What is he? He is the beginning. The firstborn from the dead. Now this is why I tell you salvation. Justification and salvation in Christ. Is that some people say, well, why did he have to die? Why did he have to be resurrected? Because you and I could not say one day we will be resurrected if somebody else wasn't resurrected ahead of us that gave us that authority. So that's why it says, if you receive me, then I live in you and you live in me. In other words, the same power that raised him from the dead will raise us from the dead. This is the renewal of the Holy Spirit in us. This is why Nicodemus asked the question, why must man be born again? Okay. Uh, he is the head of the body, the church. He is also the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. He's to have first place in everything. Again, this is sometimes where the church lacks, because sometimes we want to be in first place. We want it to be about us. That's why I say praise and worship is not for us, it's for him. He's in, he's enthroned in our praises. You know, and because uh, 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 I've had a couple conversations with people over the years, nobody here, <laughs> that somebody would say, well, you know, I don't like this song or I don't like that song, and I'll just tell them well, it's not for you anyway. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the truth. It's just not for you, it's for him. You know, I don't say it as bluntly as that, but I'll say it with the same sort of stinger because it is true. Uh, verse 19. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. In other words, the fullness of the Godhead is in Jesus. So in other words, when we're talking about the person of the Holy Spirit, when we're talking about God the Father, when we're talking about the Son, we're not talking about uh, uh, one third, two thirds. We're not, we're not, you know, that's not what's going on here. The fullness is, is in the Father. Fullness is in the Son. Fullness is in the Holy Spirit. It is God. It is the way God is revealing and working in whatever dispensation we're in. Right now, it's the Holy Spirit that is working here on earth, but. God is still in heaven. Jesus is still on the throne. And this is why sometimes people say, well, I don't, I don't get that. I don't understand that. That's what argues for it being God. Because we can't do it. It's like walking on water. Can't do it. You know, it's just, you know, resurrection from the dead. We can't do it. You know, God shows up contrary to nature. A burning bush that doesn't go out. Contrary to nature, because he's not bound by the laws of nature. He stands over and above the laws of nature. Verse 19, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all things to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, 
In other words, everything is reconciled back to the Father through him, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not move away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Minister there means servant. So in other words, the fullness, all the power of heaven came to earth, saved us. Uh, um, This is from the beginning to the end. This is Alpha and Omega. This is all of who God is has saved us and now reconciled us to him uh, through his death. And now we are now righteous before the Father because we now go to the Father through Jesus Christ, through the work of the cross. We can't do an end around and try and get in some other way. And I'm going to hold it right there until next week because that's a natural break in what I want to want to say. Um, thoughts, questions on that? You know, see, these things make it real clear who, who Jesus is. So when some, you know, there's, there's real quick, there's orthodoxy, which means it's a plumb line of God. That's supposed to be a straight line, by the way. <laughs> it's, it's, this is who God is. This is what his word is. And as long as we're on that line, that doctrine statement there, it's, it's, it's what they call orthodoxy. We are now uh, following God. But what happens is sometimes there's groups of people that don't want to accept or do everything that God has said. And now they, they don't branch off. They actually break off and start something else over here. And then another group starts this, and another group starts this. And eventually, you start getting farther and farther and farther away from orthodoxy. And so now what you've got is this big old funky picture of people calling themselves Christians. And really the only ones that are Christians are the ones that are right here. Everybody else is off the thing, and what happens is uh, we don't tell people this. We we just let them. Well, I don't want to get in anybody's face. I don't want to, whatever this and that. You know, that's why when somebody asks you the the question, well, what does your church believe? <laughs> you know, I tell people I'm a pastor, and they say, well, what does your church believe? The Bible. But you see, that's because of all of this. And all this other stuff that's told people, well, oh, there's, 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 this is okay and that's okay and this. You know, um, no. Thoughts, questions? We good? Okay. All right, let me just close in prayer. So we'll pick this up next week in Colossians, and it'll work out real good because we're going to go into 
fill them on, and that's only one page. So, uh, Lord God, we just thank you for this time, Lord, of revelation, understanding, Lord, of, of teaching uh, by the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God. Lord, may we never teach uh, of ourselves, may we never teach of what we think, but only of what you have said and what you have done. For you are our Lord, you are our creator, you are our sustainer. You are the one that holds everything together. And Lord, that we understand that there is one body, one spirit, one hope, one calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, and that we are in all and through all, all in all. And Lord, we just pray for the unity of the body of Christ, Lord. Wherever people are gathered in your name, Lord, may your word rule and reign in our hearts and in our minds. May your word be that which drives us. May your word be that which we focus on. And may uh, everything else be burned away as chaff, Lord, that uh, is not needed. But what is needed, Lord, is, is the truth of your word and the strength of your word. So, Father, again, in all of this, we just give you thanks and praise and glory and honor. And we just uh, ask you, Lord, to watch over us this week and guide us, take care of us, Lord. And uh, we give you all praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Church said, God bless. See you next week.